You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Pepsi made for football watching. And we are back. Ravens football is back this week as we head into our week eight week of Locked on Ravens. And it's Steelers week. The Ravens are gearing up for a massive matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers at M&T Bank Stadium. I mean, this is going to be a huge game. This is going to be a great game. First of all, the Steelers, the only undefeated team in the AFC remaining. And this is crazy because, you know, you, you would expect the Steelers to not be that team coming into the year. But I will admit, they have impressed me and blown away my expectations. There are three great teams in this AFC North right now, Pittsburgh being one of them and obviously Baltimore being another. But I am excited for this game. This is a game that I think might have a little bit more of a defensive showing than I think a lot of people might be anticipating. You know, we have the high-powered Ravens offense. We have Ben Roethlisberger and that quick-passing ground game Steelers offense. This game, though, might be between the two elite defensive units, the Ravens adding Yannick Ngakwe, who we'll get into here in the first segment. And and again, this game, it's been a long time coming. I, I think Steelers fans want to get revenge on the two losses they took at the hands of the Ravens. Ravens just want to keep that dominant run going against the Steelers. And, you know, beating the Steelers in Week 17 with their backups, most disrespectful thing that they probably could have done to Pittsburgh. And, you know, you can throw that in some Steelers fans' face if you want to. But we have a lot for you this week, and specifically today. You know, Yannick Ngakwe was the big news and the big move that the Ravens made last Thursday. And we got to talk with Matthew Stevens about it, but we didn't really get to dive into it a ton. So what I did is I went out and I asked Luke. Luke Braun. So what I did is I talked with Luke Braun of Locked on Vikings, who got to cover Ngakwe for six games about about what he saw from Ngakwe during his time in a Minnesota uniform. We talked about a lot of good stuff, and so I want to get into that in the first segment because it was really good stuff just to get to know Ngakwe and get to see the type of person he is, the type of player he is, how he was used in Minnesota. It was all really good stuff. Then in the second segment, I do want to talk about the AFC North just a little bit, talk about where teams are right now who has looked good, who has not, and what to expect for the rest of the year, and, you know, who maybe is a contender, a real contender, and who is a pretender. And then in our final segment, as we usually do here on Mondays during the football season, we'll take a look at the rest of the AFC scores around the NFL and get into a full playoff picture standings through seven weeks pending the Monday night football game that will happen today. So with all that being said, let's jump right in. Before we do that, though, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and there is a podcast. We are there Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern Times when we put out content and it is good is when we put out content. And also be sure to follow us on Twitter at Locked on Ravens and my personal account at ChaosStriker34. So all that being said, let's dive into this interview I had with Luke Braun of Locked on Vikings about Ravens new acquisition, Yanni Kingakwe. 
Now we're going to be getting into a move that happened a few days ago, but still I think a lot of people want to know a lot about it. And so for some expert analysis on a guy who covered Ngakwe, but not for a great amount of time, only six games in Minnesota, I have here with me Locked on Vikings host Luke Braun. Luke, how you doing today? Oh, you know, doing all right. The Vikings didn't lose on Sunday, so we can say that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, lovely. And and for me, I think that the way this Minnesota Vikings franchise is going, this was honestly a move that, you know, when you take a step back and look at it, it makes a little sense. Although when you look at how Minnesota gave up a second and a fifth and a returning a third and a fifth, I mean, the value doesn't make a ton of sense. But obviously, in my eyes, this seems like a move where the Vikings thought they weren't going to re-sign Ngakwe, at least not for the money that he was going to command on the open market. So, Luke, I want to first start off with your first thoughts and reactions to when this trade happened. Were you shocked? Was this something you were expecting? Uh, What was a Minnesota perspective from this trade? Yeah, it was pretty surprising over here. I don't think we really thought that the Ngakwe thing was going to go this way. Listen, when you give up a second rounder for a guy and you only plan to rent him for one year, that's pretty bad value. We kind of thought, all right, now they're going to try to get him extended. And it wasn't a guarantee that they would get him extended, but we kind of thought that they were going to try to get him extended. Then you'd have Daniil Hunter on one side and uh, Unique Ngakwe on the other. And you'd be really excited about that. But obviously it didn't work out that way. And, you know, six games in, they're basically selling him back uh, for, you know, for his return price, which moves a second rounder down to a third rounder and uh, I think moves the fifth rounder from 2021 to 2022, which sucks. So they just kind of like leaked away a little bit of value uh, for six games that you went one and five in. Right. And and I think that's the worst part, at least from a Vikings perspective. And Eric DaCosta, the Ravens general manager, just does his magic, works his magic, and has really been able to acquire three pro bowlers and Marcus Peters, Class Campbell, and Yannick Ngakwe now for basically nothing pennies when you take a look at it but with Ngakwe Luke he showed a lot in Minnesota even though it was for six games he had those five sacks two forced fumbles somebody who I think showed a lot of promise and we know he's a star we know he's a good player but what did you see out of Ngakwe in Minnesota yeah so he's a pass rusher he's he's kind of got a reputation for not being a great run defender that sort of bore out he wasn't excellent in in run defense he had a 45 PFF grade in run defense which is pretty poor Um, But yeah, he generated 16 pressures. That's not the best. That's okay. But he got five sacks. A lot of those sacks were cleanup sacks, though. So a lot of people are saying that like, hey, you know, those are like kind of misleading in his time in Minnesota wasn't like superstar play. Um, But I don't know. I kind of think he has like a knack for cleanup sacks because he's got a lot of motor, you know, and like a like unique amount of motor. A lot of guys have motor, but he really is good at the chase down game. Um, And he has quite a knack for stripping the ball. That's not something that's usually sustainable, but he always, always, always goes for the ball. Uh, And that's something that can really pay dividends. He really likes to use that cross chop move. That's still his his go to move. Um, And he's somebody that, you know, you can leave one on one with a tackle and hope you can get a little bit of production out of him. Yeah, and I think where this trade works for Baltimore is that they don't have to have him necessarily in on these rundowns. They have run stuffers, and you can put Ngakwe in in situations where he he can go out and make a difference and prove that he can go out there. And, you know, yes, the run defense, you would like to see a little bit better out of a guy who you're giving up a third and a fifth for. But at the end of the day, Baltimore, I think, played this really well because they have now Ngakwe, who will be a free agent after this season. They have Matthew Judon, who was franchise tagged and will also be a free agent after this season. So if one of them walks, and I'm assuming one does, because I don't just don't think Baltimore has the money to re-sign both, 
the Ravens will most likely, based on the contract that one gets, get a third-round compensatory pick back. So at the end of the day, Baltimore most likely, not not a guarantee, is acquiring him for this fifth-round pick. But, Luke, I want to talk a bit about just how Minnesota was deploying Ngakwe in their defensive scheme. Now, you mentioned the run defense not quite there. So is this a scenario where Minnesota was using him solely on pass downs? Or were they giving him a little run in, you know, first and tens or even third and shorts? No, he was he was a thir- uh, three down player. Uh, they they run a classic four three. He's a four three edge rusher that always pretty much lined up and and rushed the passer. They did have some uh, conversations early when he first got here about like kind of getting him used to the scheme. He had only really uh, played in the the scheme that drafted him um, over there in Jacksonville, and it's not that different in Minnesota, but like terminology and stuff is different. And they asked him to do a few other things. They kind of asked him less to, you know, penetrate and be disruptive and try to get into the backfield on rundowns, but more to just like hold his gap the way that the Vikings run, uh, defend the run. It's a lot of just, you know, hold your gap and let the linebackers do the, do the glory work. Um, and that I think was a, just a different role for him that he already, you know, kind of struggled as a run defender. And they, I, I think maybe there was a mistake there. Wasn't what he did best in Jacksonville against the run. But I don't know if you take him out on rundowns. I don't know if that hurts him for the compensatory pick. You know, I don't know if anybody's signing a third round comp pick sized contract to a guy that like was rotational and got traded twice in a season. Um, so I, I wonder if that like weighs into the strategy at all. Uh, but yeah, no, he he played Four three edge rusher the way you you see it ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, I agree. I don't expect him to be in there on all rundowns, you know, obvious run situations, but it's not like Baltimore's going to drop his usage down to 30, 40% and only put him in on, oh, third and longs or second and long passing situations. I I think that would be a horrible way to use him, but I do think he fits Baltimore's scheme a bit better than what you mentioned, Luke, in Minnesota, especially on the rundowns, and I I love his motor. His motor is something Baltimore loves, and it seems like Ngakwe has wanted to be in Baltimore for a while obviously grew up in Maryland attended the University of Maryland and during his time in Jacksonville at least towards the end of it we saw that you know he was kind of pushing for Baltimore and I mean honestly just pushing to get out of Jacksonville but everybody wanted out of Jacksonville (laughs) yeah but just ended up in Minnesota but Luke I want to talk a little bit about Yannick Ngakwe the person because Baltimore obviously values their culture they let go of a pro bowler in Earl Thomas because he was not meshing with the locker room and was severely hindering that culture we've seen the Ravens part with Ray Rice and his off the field incidents other role players in their incidents Baltimore values a strong culture and does not like those off the field distractions so Luke during your time covering Ngakwe what did you see from Ngakwe the person uh, not much, to be honest with you. It was pretty quiet during his time here. I mean, yeah, you know, you're just trying to get your head down, get the playbook down. He was only here for six weeks, so that's hard. You you can't exactly uh, be that comfortable around everybody when you've only been working with them for, you know, two months. So I, I think that that move for Ngakwe was more about getting out of Jacksonville. And, you know, I talked to Tony Wiggins. He does Locked on Jags. When the Vikings traded for him, um, did a show just like this. And he basically said, listen, Ngakwe was kind of a first in... Uh, last out guy for Jacksonville. He was like the last, like w- when he turned on the front office, it Jacksonville took it as confirmation that it was the front office's fault because Ngakwe was such a grindy work ethic kind of guy. And that shows on the field with all the like motor sacks he gets. So I, I think, I mean, I don't know what you'll get in personality. If you hang on to it for more than two months, you'll know better than, than I do, of course. Um, but 
I didn't really see anything one way or another because he was quiet here, but just coming out of Jacksonville, I, I think he's somebody that'll fit that culture pretty well. Baltimore has had a history of acquiring guys who, you know, not saying Ngakwe is not a great person, because I think he is, and you mentioned the, the work ethic, but, you know, for example, Steve Smith or Marcus Peters, guys who didn't have the best reputations of, oh, you know, they're great team players, this and that. Ngakwe, I don't get that sense from him. I, th- I think that he is a great team player, and I think he made a great point, Luca, the fact that you're not going to be very comfortable around guys that you've only been working with for six weeks. And just the fact that he is a head down, hardworking type of character. I think honestly, that's what Baltimore needs. And I think, you know, taking that a step further, the fact that he does want to be in Baltimore, that he has wanted to be in Baltimore, that is a huge, huge thing for this Ravens team and for Ngakwe too, for his development. But Luke, thank you so much for joining me here on the show to provide some insight on Ngakwe and ultimately what he will bring to the Ravens. This was great. Thank you so much. Again, a big thanks to Luke for joining me on the show to talk some Yannick Ngakwe. And from what he told me from how he was used in Minnesota, Ngakwe the person, I still think this is a phenomenal fit for this Baltimore Ravens team. And really what I think is this is an, is an audition for Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. Who will get paid the money? Because it's going to be one of them. I don't anticipate that the Ravens letting both of them walk in the offseason. I would expect them to commit money to one of these pass rushers. It's just a matter of where that money will go. And either way, I do think Baltimore gets a third round pick. But I am excited to see what Ngakwe brings to this team. I think, again, you look at Kansas City and being able to rush four and drop seven. That's big, and Ngakwe definitely provides them with that option. So overall, a great move for Baltimore. It will be talked about a lot this week here on Locked on Ravens with a lot of people. So be sure to stay tuned for all of that. We're going to head into our first break here, and when we get back, we'll be talking about the AFC North, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different. Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Pepsi's the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Pepsi, made for football watching. We are back, second segment, Locked on Ravens, Monday edition. Kevin Oshiker is still here with you. And no, it's not a victory Monday, but it also was not a defeat Monday, as Baltimore did not play during week seven. It wasn't their bye week, but we get Ravens football back. And the game that the Ravens come back to is a big divisional game with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who currently stand at 6-0, currently the only undefeated team in the AFC still standing. So Baltimore, much like they did with the New England Patriots last year, hope to be the team to hand an undefeated team their first loss. But I do want to talk about the AFC North because this is a division that is extremely interesting to me when you dive into record, you dive into roster, you dive into schedule. There's a lot to look at here, especially how teams are winning. Because there are a lot of teams in this division with a lot of wins. The Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland have combined for 16 total wins, while the whole NFC East themselves have combined for seven. So you look at that, first of all, I think that says more about the NFC East than it does the AFC North. But this team has really three great teams in it. You have Pittsburgh, and you have Baltimore, and you have Cleveland. I think three teams that really 
have a shot to make the playoffs. You could realistically see three AFC North teams in the playoffs. But I think there's a step above that Baltimore is at right now where Pittsburgh and Cleveland are not. And that is has partially stuff to do with scheduling, partially stuff to do with how they're beating opponents. And I tweeted this out. I think the difference between Baltimore is compared to Pittsburgh and Cleveland is so far through seven weeks, Baltimore has dismantled most of their opponents. There have been a few weeks here and there where they haven't looked great, or again, they lost to Kansas City. But for the most part, they have been dismantling these opponents that they've been faced with. And look, there are a few late scores here and there where you can say, oh man, they only lost by 10 points here. They only lost by 14 points here. But Baltimore, for the most part, really, let's take the Philadelphia game, for example. Baltimore loses that game by two points. If there were not, if you cut the penalties in half, if you have six penalties in that game for Baltimore, and maybe Pernell McPhee catches the interception, maybe Deshaun Elliott catches his interception, maybe Patrick Queen catches his interception, Baltimore wins that game by, I think, three possessions. The Bravens killed themselves in that game, something that you rarely see under a John Harbaugh-led team. For the most part, Baltimore has been dismantling their opponents, and I will stand by that. What Pittsburgh and Cleveland have done for the most part is stay in close games. They keep it really, really tight, and that's fine. A win is a win. If you can win close games, that's completely fine because that's sometimes how you have to win games in the NFL. But is Pittsburgh really a 6-0 team? No, I don't think so. Is Cleveland really a 5-2 team? No, I don't think so. Baltimore, I think 5-1 is the right place for them. I don't think they're a 6-0 team. I also don't think they're a 4-2 team. I think based off scheduling and based off everything else, I think they are firmly a 5-1 team. But I'd say Pittsburgh is a 4-2 team. I'd say Cleveland is a 4-3 team. There are a lot of things to take into account with these two teams. And so, again, I want to look at Pittsburgh's schedule here for a second, and then I'll get into a bunch of different mini stats, like point differential and the like. The Steelers during this 2020 season, the first game was at the Giants. They beat them 26-16. to The Giants are not a great football team, but they beat them by 10, double digits. Then they go and play the Denver Broncos at home. They fly back to Pittsburgh, play Denver at home. Lose 26-21 against Jeff Driscoll, who actually played a really good game against Pittsburgh. But they only beat the Denver Broncos, who were extremely shorthanded in this game. Cortland Sutton got lost for the year in this game. The Broncos don't have Von Miller. Decimated by injury, only win by five. Then against Houston, who was just in an absolute free fall, and this was in the Bill O'Brien days, they only beat them by seven in a close game. And then the Philadelphia Eagles come to town for Pittsburgh, and I guess that's a pretty short drive, but Philadelphia, it's kind of the same situation as the Ravens. Pittsburgh got up by a lot early. Philadelphia comes storming back, and they win by nine, so I'll give them a pass there. Then against Cleveland, win 38-7. to This win was impressive to me. This win was very impressive to me. I think Cleveland's a good team. This was a good win. They dismantled and dominated Cleveland. That was a good win for Pittsburgh. Finally against Tennessee yesterday, a 27-24 victory, which honestly the game should have gone to overtime. Pittsburgh did everything they could in the second half to lose the game. I don't know. Pittsburgh, to me, again, I think they are a 4-2 team. I'm not saying they're bad, but I don't think they have faced a defense like Baltimore's yet on offense. Ben Roethlisberger's deep ball accuracy has not looked great to me. Ben Roethlisberger's offense right now is very dink and dunk, short play offense with a few deep shots dialed in there. Against Tennessee, 
Tennessee's pass rush did not get to Ben Roethlisberger whatsoever. I think they had one, maybe two sacks, barely any pressure because what they do is they go seven yards out and there's a completion. Six yards out, slant completion. They'll run it with James Conner. It's a very quick hit offense. And Pittsburgh loves the time of possession battle. I believe the stat was Pittsburgh in the first half or at least at the end of the first quarter, kind of into the second quarter, held the ball for something like 16 minutes and Tennessee held the ball for like one. So Pittsburgh is a time possession clock controlling offense, much like Baltimore is. And I think, again, I'm not saying Pittsburgh is bad. What I am saying is that I don't think they have faced a defense like the Ravens defense. And again, I also don't think they've faced an offense like the Ravens offense yet. So this game coming up against Pittsburgh that Baltimore has, it's going to be super, super telling to see how either big or small the gap is between these two teams. Because even if Baltimore loses to Pittsburgh on Sunday, I still think they are the better team in the AFC North. But I do think the gap shrinks considerably because at that point, Pittsburgh does have a clear path to the division. So again, super telling, but I think Pittsburgh has not seen a challenge like Baltimore yet. Despite playing some talented teams, I just don't see the domination I see with Baltimore, except for the game against Cleveland. And, you know, you see glimpses of it against Philadelphia. You see glimpses of it against Tennessee. But if you can't hold it, much like the Ravens did not hold it against Philadelphia. So, you know, that, that doesn't count as domination. But Baltimore, again, if they didn't kill themselves, it's a game of ifs here. If Baltimore doesn't kill themselves with penalties, dropped interceptions, missed opportunities, that game's a three-possession game. But Pittsburgh lost both the Philadelphia game and the Titans game in the second half. And, of course, they still won the actual outcome of the game. But, you know, uninspiring performances in the second half for Pittsburgh in those two games. And then we transition over to Cleveland and the Cleveland Browns. And the first thing I want to talk about with Cleveland is the fact that they are a 5-2 and two football team and have looked impressive in spurts. Against Baltimore in week one, they did not look <laughs> very impressive. 38-6, to six, lost to Baltimore. I mean, hey, the Ravens looked impressive. I'll take that, right? First Cincinnati in week two, they win 35 to 30 in a game that I actually don't think was as close as the box score indicates, but still, that's a five-point win against a team in the Bengals who is a decently inferior opponent despite being a decently good team. They're not good by any stretch of the imagination, but they are better than I think a lot of people give them credit for. Then they beat Washington 34 to 20. This was, again, a double-digit win. That's good. 49-38 win against the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott. I also thought that was an impressive win. 32-23 against the Colts. So again, I mean, the Browns are winning by 9. You have 11. You have 14. Good wins there. But then Pittsburgh, they get absolutely demolished 38-7. We just talked about that with Pittsburgh. And then Cincinnati yesterday, 37-34. Honestly, Cleveland should not have won that game. There are all these arguments coming up about, oh, well, Odell Beckham was lost for the game and Baker looked better, so Odell's the problem. Sure, you you can chalk it up to chemistry issues between Odo Beckham and Baker Mayfield. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, Cleveland is not a better football team with Odo Beckham out of this game and out for the season. Odo Beckham left this game early in the first quarter on a Baker Mayfield interception. It's looking like a serious injury to potentially sideline him for the remainder of the season. Odo Beckham hasn't had the best season stat-wise. Odo Beckham has not had the best stint in Cleveland. His stint in Cleveland has been very underwhelming for a lot of people. But just having Odo Beckham on the field opens up things for other people. It opens up the run game. It opens up things for Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Harrison Bryan, Austin Hooper, guys like David Njoku even. It opens up the field for Baker Mayfield. And yes, I was impressed with what Baker Mayfield did after Odo Beckham left the game. 
but Cincinnati's defense is not inspiring to me, right? The Steelers' defense, that was a good defense. And what happened? They only scored seven points. Baltimore's defense, that's a good defense. What happened? They only scored six. Washington's defense is okay. They put up 34. That's good. Dallas's defense is horrendous. The Colts' defense did not have Darius Leonard, their literal heart and soul. Again, Cincinnati's defense is not that great. Cleveland, to me, is a team that I think will make the seven seed. I said that at the beginning of the year. I still hold true to that. I, in my standings here, Pittsburgh, to me, is replacing Buffalo because Buffalo is going to win the AFC East, so they will move up to the third seed and take that. I don't know if the Patriots are making the playoffs right now, but I think Pittsburgh is the five seed here. They've been impressive, but again, the test is going to come when they come to M&T Bank Stadium on Sunday and play the Baltimore Ravens. And the last thing I want to look at here before we head into our final break and look at the rest of the AFC scores is the actual point differential of these teams. Pittsburgh is a plus 65 in the point differential. You can attribute most of that to Pittsburgh's win against Cleveland, 38-7. to But Baltimore is plus 75 in point differential. And so you can attribute that to, I guess, most of their win against Cleveland, 38-6. to But Baltimore has been... I think the better team in terms of actually, you know, not just pure point differential, because if the Washington football team does not score that touchdown at the end of the game against Baltimore, you know, Baltimore's point differential goes up by seven. If Philadelphia doesn't capitalize on Baltimore's mistakes and missed turnovers, you know, that could easily go up 14-21. For Cleveland, they are minus 21 in point differential at five and two. That is something that's not very heard of you know being a five and two football team but being negative 21 in point differential Cincinnati for example is one five and one and they're only negative 31 in in point differential Baltimore right now is tied for second in the entire NFL in point differential the Kansas City Chiefs also have a plus 75 point differential here the leaders are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now pending the Monday night games with 80 plus 80 in the point differential department So Baltimore and Pittsburgh are both showing me that their offenses are backed up by an elite defense. What Cleveland is showing me is that their defense is eventually going to catch up to them and they're not going to be able to hold leads because look, you can beat all the inferior teams you want. You can look for seeding. You can do this. It doesn't matter if Baltimore gets the one seed or gets the seven seed. Once January comes, we've seen this firsthand. Literally, it's a whole new season. It doesn't matter if Baltimore has to travel somewhere, do this, do that. It's a whole new season in January, and your defense is ultimately going to catch up to you if you're Cleveland, I think, because it has been abysmal for them on defense this year outside of guys like Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward's had a phenomenal year. But Pittsburgh and Baltimore, I think, are the two with good defenses, but I think this game against Pittsburgh for Baltimore is going to determine how far ahead of Pittsburgh they are or if the gap is substantially closed between the two of them. But right now, Pittsburgh does stand on top of the division at 6-0, Baltimore 5-1, Cleveland 5-2, and and Cincinnati at 1-5-1. We're going to head into our second and final break here, and when we get back, we're going to be jumping into the rest of the AFC scores around the NFL, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. The improved Built Bar is even more delicious. It has six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, and carrot cake. It's great for the health conscious person because they are healthy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. So be sure to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. 
We are back with our final segment of this Locked on Ravens Monday edition episode. Kevin Oshak, your host, still hanging out with you here. And we talked a little bit about the AFC North, and we will be getting into the games that the AFC North played, but of course, that did not include the Baltimore Ravens in Week 7. We're going to be getting into the AFC scores around the NFL in Week 7, and we'll kick it off at MetLife Stadium as the Buffalo Bills beat the New York Jets 18-10. to The Bills moved to 5-2, and while the Jets have the worst record in football at 0-7. Josh Allen, 30 of 43 for 307 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Josh Allen also had 11 carries for 61 yards, leading the team in both carries and yards on the ground. Cole Beasley had himself a day, 11 receptions for 112 yards. Sam Darnold did not have himself a day, 12 of 23 for 120 yards and two interceptions. Frank Gore and LaMichael P. Ryan each had 11 carries. And Denzel Mims led the Jets with four receptions for 42 yards. As we talked about in the last segment, the Cleveland Browns beating the Cincinnati Bengals 37-34. Cleveland moves to 5-2 while Cincinnati falls to 1-5-1. Baker Mayfield 22-28, 297 yards, 5 touchdowns, 1 interception. Mayfield completes 22 of his last 23 passes after starting the game 0-5 with an interception in the first quarter. Joe Burrow had himself a day 35-47 406 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. An impressive game overall for Cincinnati. The Green Bay Packers beating the Houston Texans 35-20. Houston falls to 1-6 in a dismal season for them. Deshaun Watson, 29-39 for 309 yards and two scores. David Johnson, 14 carries for 42 yards, only three yards per carry. There are some reports that Houston is now shopping all of their wide receivers, including Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, and Kenny stills and that they're expected to trade at least one of them. Let's now go to Tennessee where we talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers defeating the Tennessee Titans 27-24. Pittsburgh moves to 6-0. Tennessee falls to 5-1. Steven Gostowski missed a 46-guard field goal in the final seconds of this game that would have forced overtime. Ben Roethlisberger, 32 of 49, 268 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. James Conner, 20 carries for 82 yards. For Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill, 18 of 30 for 220 yards and two scores, while Derrick Henry had 20 carries for 75 yards and a touchdown. But we now go to Las Vegas, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers put a whooping on the Las Vegas Raiders, 45 to 20. Las Vegas falls to 3-3. and For the Raiders, Derek Carr went 24-36 of for 284 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception, while Josh Jacobs only had 10 carries for 17 yards, a 1.7 yards per carry average for the second-year runner out of Alabama. We next go to Denver in the snow, where the Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Denver Broncos 43-16. Kansas City moves to 6-1, while Denver falls to 2-4. Patrick Mahomes, 15-23 of for 200 yards and a score, while Clyde Edwards-Hilaire led the team with 8 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. For the Broncos, Drew Locke went 24-40 of for 254 yards and 2 interceptions on the day. Next, we check in with the Los Angeles Chargers who beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 39-29. Los Angeles moves to 2-4 while Jacksonville falls to 1-6. Gardner Minshew went 14-27 for 173 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. James Robinson had himself a day, 22 carries for 119 yards and a score while also scoring on a receiving touchdown. And for the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, 27-43, 347 yards, three touchdowns through the air while also having a rushing touchdown. 
touchdown for him. And finally, we go to New England where the San Francisco 49ers demolished the New England Patriots 33-6. to Jimmy Garoppolo went 28-25 for 277 yards. No touchdowns, two interceptions. For the Patriots, Cam Newton went 9 of 15 for 98 yards and three interceptions before getting benched for Jared Stidham, who went 6 of 10 for 64 yards and an interception himself for the Patriots. So a rough day for New England, who might be beginning to fall as Tom Brady is no longer in a New England Patriots uniform. But looking at the playoff picture so far... Throughout the 2020 season, the Pittsburgh Steelers will be the number one seed at 6-0, followed by Kansas City at 6-1, Tennessee at 5-1, and Buffalo at 5-2. The Ravens would fall as the five seed at 5-1, Cleveland would be the sixth seed at 5-2, and and the Indianapolis Colts would be the seventh seed at 4-2. So this would be setting up for the Pittsburgh Steelers having a bye. Kansas City would play Indianapolis. Tennessee would host Cleveland, and Buffalo would have to host the Baltimore Ravens. So it'd be interesting, but obviously the season far from over as the Ravens have a big matchup with those undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers this week that could change the landscape of that playoff picture. But that's all that I have for you today here on Locked on Ravens. We'll make it back tomorrow. It's, of course, more Ravens talk from us, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.